it's recording. Pop cast, pop cast, pop cast, pop cast. Why don't we just do a pop cast? I, I Our know. last episode we just recorded <laughs> an Unsolved Mysteries episode and it sucked. It was a downer for sure. I have to do less Boring. work for the pop cast and it's more fun. Yeah. <laughs> we should have done this all along. Welcome to the Perhaps It's You Pupcast. Thank you for understanding that we don't have a Unsolved Mysteries episode for you this week. <laughs> Liz is doing some traveling, and sometimes it's just hard to make our schedules match up. So, yeah, it's time for a Pupcast. Also, you're welcome, because it's a Pupcast, and they're great. These are about dogs and Hero cats. dogs. And, I mean, we're loosening the definition of a Pupcast. Well, whatever. We're letting the definition of heroes actually... and dogs slip a little, but... <laughs> Minor detail. I actually have a PupCast update. Oh, let's hear it. So you may recall that the PupCast was inspired by an Unsolved mystery segment about a dog. A Harley service, the Golden Retriever. A service animal who could detect seizures. Well, a new study has science confirming that that is possible. Wow. So reading from this article from Gizmodo right here, it says dogs detect seizures by smelling them. New evidence suggests. And it, yeah. Remember how we said that that was probably true because dogs can smell a lot of stuff? Right. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence. Yes. Well, it seems like it is now being backed up by science. And uh, let's see. What was I going to read? Confirming what has long been known. Yeah. So, yeah. Anecdotally, this woman from Unsolved Mysteries and other people had service animals that could warn them prior to their seizures so they could get to a safe place and not be injured. And in that woman's case, it, like, really let her take control of her life again. It was a very moving, inspiring story. Um, And you saw some doctor on Unsolved Mysteries be like, well, that's nonsense because i couldn't tell her when she was gonna have a seizure and i was like yeah well, but did you smell her <laughs> like if it's like the the reason he was not buying it was saying if you were in the hospital like hooked up to ekgs or whatever the hell like doctors wouldn't be able to tell you when you were gonna have a seizure so how could a dog so how could a dog and it's like because dogs can smell better than you dogs can sniff out cancer yeah which maybe wasn't known at the time the episode aired but it doesn't surprise me at all that they would be able to use their amazing noses to detect seizures. Yeah. So this is straight from this article in Gizmodo. So thank you to them. Anecdotal evidence suggests that go- dogs are capable of detecting epileptic seizures before they happen, sometimes as much as five hours before an attack. But scientists hadn't been able to conclu- conclusively prove this or figured out how our four-legged friends might be able to do it. There was a study that was published in Scientific Reports and co-authored by Amelie Cotala from the University of Rennes in France to see if dogs were in fact capable of detecting epileptic seizure odor. And the results of this preliminary investigation were undeniably encouraging. In these experiments... The scientist and her colleagues tested three female and two male dogs of various breeds, all of whom received prior training in, as d- disease-sniffing dogs. The dogs were initially trained to take a select scent from a person who was having a seizure. Later, the canines were presented with breath and body odor captured from five other epileptic individuals during seizure. For the controls, they also had 
dogs that smelled something else. I don't know. The dogs were presented <laughs> with seven cans, only one of which contained the seizure-specific odor. Each dog was tested nine times during the experiment. This particular experimental protocol is the same used when testing the canine ability to sniff out cancer or other diseases. The results were very good. All dogs were able to positively identify the seizure bucket, with success rates ranging from 67 to 100% ability. Three of the five dogs scored perfect scores on all nine tests. Their ability to identify negatives, that is, non-epileptic samples, was even better, ranging from 95 to 100. So basically, um, science is confirming that anecdotal evidence, and I feel like if a dog knows you, like if you have a relationship with a service animal, I feel like those rates would be even better. Right. Because these are just like, these are just random smells. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's Science is amazing. Dogs are amazing. Really, it's the this dogs are amazing. This is why I love amazing. this podcast. This is why... Do- oh, look at this pup. Oh, look at it. Is that one of the dogs? I don't know. It might just be so a stock footage of a... Whatever. <laughs> stock photo of a dog. <laughs> so but- cute. Ah! Okay, so that- I thought that was cool. That's and awesome. And it brings us back to what got us started on this podcast in Harley. the first place. Good old Harley. Harley needs a statue. Letting that woman live her best life and go back to school and actually leave the house and all that stuff amazing yeah okay so lenny would not do that for me but that's cool neither would my dogs but that's fine okay so we have a couple we each have two hero animal stories to tell and the first story i wanted to tell maybe you could debate whether or not this dog is heroic i think this dog did something amazing all right this is the story of goby have Mm -hmm. you heard of goby no, the, you, or finding Gobi. You just said you were going to do Gobi, and okay. I went, okay. So I followed the story back when it was happening in real time, and it is the most heartwarming thing you can imagine. So Gobi is a small female mixed breed dog that began following ultra marathon runner Dion, Dion Leonard at the beginning of stage two of the Gobi Desert Ultra Marathon in China in June 2016. Do you know what an ultra marathon is? It sounds terrible. Uh, yes, I think it does. So the this particular ultra marathon is a part of what is called the Four Deserts Ultra Marathon Series, which is an annual series of four 250 kilometer or 155 mile races across deserts around the globe. How is that even humanly possible? A traditional marathon, for comparison, is 42 kilometers. So this is 250. I would rather die. Yeah, the Gobi March is the series' inaugural race, and it was held in the Gobi Desert of Western China for the first time in 2003. I don't want to run anywhere. The only time I run is if I'm trying to catch a bus, but I do not want to run in a desert. So, get this. Over the following three years, an additional race was introduced in a new location every year. In 2004, the... I might pronounce this wrong. The Atacama Crossing was held in the Atacama Desert of Chile. This was followed by the Sahara Race in the Sahara Desert of Egypt in 2005. And in 2006, a fourth race called the Last Desert took place in Antarctica and was the first year in which all four desert races were held in the same calendar year. I don't know if people do all four of these, but... 
that's bananas if you do all four of those i take that as a cry for help so the gobi one takes place in various locations around the chinese area of the gobi desert and is usually held in june so (laughs) the gobi march that's the desert that we're the race we're going to be talking about challenges include the changes in temperature from the hot highlands to the oppressive cold in the sand dunes the open sun potential sandstorms a variety of terrain (laughs) storms There's soft sand dunes, rocky tracks, steep hills, ridges, and riverbeds. So when you're going through this series... Is this like death by cop? <laughs> Is this like you you want to commit suicide, but you can't do it yourself? So you run an ultra marathon. Yeah, that's what this sounds like to me. This is a cry for help. So that you're willing to run through a sandstorm? Regarding the four Do desert- these people know they can take naps? <laughs> I knew you'd be outraged by this. It's hilarious. Do people know they can sign up for Netflix? And it costs way less than whatever gear is required to do this. So, regarding this Four Deserts Ultra Marathon series, uh, competitors can enter any of the individual races within the Four Deserts series, but if they wish to take part in the last desert race, they must successfully finish at least two of the other races in the series. People's toenails fall off just from running a regular marathon. What? I've never heard that. Yes. I mean, not everyone's, but that's, like, something that happens. That's horrifying. Yeah, your body's, like, kind of not meant to do that. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, that's... That is disgusting. Okay. In 2000... Not to mention all the men with bleeding nipples. If you've ever watched a marathon... Yes. Bleeding nipples? Yes. No. Shut up. That's not a real... Blood just comes out of them? Well, they don't wear the proper shirt, and all of that running... Then their nipples start to chafe on the shirt to the point where it bleeds, and then you see men running with just blood. <laughs> run- I'm not kidding at all. Mac ran a marathon one year, and oh I, which, wh- why I still don't Did know. Did his toenails fall off? And no. His nipples bleed. No, he took proper precautions, okay. but people who didn't were running around with bleeding nipples. <laughs> I saw it all. Jesus Christ. That's horrible. Okay, so getting back to Gobi. That was a regular. That was just a regular fucking Chicago marathon. That was not oh, an ultra it was, marathon. It was not an ultra desert. marathon. It was not a in the desert. That it was not. There was no sandstorms. <laughs> it was a nice flat Chicago <laughs> on a temperate day. <laughs> Oh, my God. There is a documentary film, if you're interested in learning more about the Four Deserts Marathon series. It's I called am not. Desert Runners, and was directed by Jennifer Steinman. So, it won a bunch of awards. Anyway, so back to the story of Gobi. Leonard noticed the, that a stray dog at the start of the second day of the race began to follow him. He did not expect the dog to follow him the entire way, but the dog ran a 23-mile leg of the race with him. At the end of the day, the dog joined... Just him? Just him. Aww. The dog joined Leonard in his tent. Ultimately, Gobi ran 77 of the 155 miles of the race. In stage two, Leonard carried Gobi over several water barriers, even though doing so put him behind in the race. Leonard describes Gobi as becoming the star of the race. The other competitors loved her and shared their precious dried meat rations with her. Apparently, because you're in the middle of nowhere, all you have with you is what you pack at the start, so you only have whatever you bring so you only have a small amount of dried meat and then they give you water and stuff and all of the racers in this race shared their i can't run a race where there's people standing by the side to hand you (laughs) 
Gatorade and there's like a whole tent of food at the end and all you know there's like bands playing and every like conceivable uh it's like a run walk type yeah I can't even do that people bring their kids yeah and then like it's like oh I have to carry the rations on my back to make it through the sandstorm I think you probably have helpers that come with you or something like that, but oh my God. they only had what they brought, so they were all sharing their dried meats with Gobi. Aww. She became like the... They named her Gobi after the Gobi Desert, and she became sort of the mascot. That's not very creative, but... At the end of the race, there's this like, sort of iconic photo of Leonard holding Gobi, and they both have their own medals. They wear these big, giant Aww. medals, and Gobi had her own little medal. It was so cute. Okay, And I remember seeing, like, the viral story and following him because after finishing the race, Leonard began a crowdfunding campaign to raise 5,000 pounds to bring Gobi back to Edinburgh from China. The campaign ultimately raised over 38,000 pounds. (laughs) Leonard and his wife, I don't know how to pronounce his wife's name, Lucia, committed to donating the extra funds to welfare organizations that care for stray dogs. However, before Gobi could begin the quarantine process necessary to enter the UK, Leonard left Gobi in the care of race organizers in Ur- I'm not sure how to pronounce the city in China, while he flew back to the UK to arrange for a leave of absence from his job in Edinburgh. While Leonard was home, Gobi went missing. Aww. So Leonard immediately flew back to China <laughs> Amazing. A city of three million people to try and find her. At this time, a Facebook page called Finding Gobi sprang up and began to amass followers by the thousands. So this is what I remember. I remember, and I still to this day, I think, follow the Facebook page (laughs) called Finding Gobi because every day there were updates from Leonard and there was a whole team of people in China that were trying to find her. They were passing out flyers. It was this like groundswell of like act like people trying to find this little stray dog in this huge fucking city in China. And people around the globe followed this Facebook page for daily updates about Gobi's fate and finding her and hoping that she would get reunited with Leonard. So he flew back and him and a bunch of other people began scouring the city for Gobi, passing out flyers. They combed the city. They had a reward. And then one day they found Gobi. She had a deep gash on her head and was, no, lim- and was no. limping, but was otherwise unharmed. Leonard yeah, other than a deep gash and a limp. Leonard used some of the crowdfunding money to fly Gobi to Beijing for an operation on her hip from which she fully recovered. Leonard has now brought Gobi home. And after... The f- a four-month quarantine in Beijing, she was allowed to enter the UK. In October 2016, HarperCollins Publishers announced the expected publication of a trilogy of books about Gobi and Leonard's journey a together. A trilogy? Wow. They're going to be for adults and, and young readers. I'm not sure exactly. I know there's like a children's book out, I think, called Finding Gobi. There's also going to be a movie by the same name. Um, they're developed. 20th Century Fox is developing a film based on Gobi and Leonard's experience together, and I think it might be called Finding Gobi, but I'm not sure. Anyway, I fucking love this story. Gobi, look her up on Google Gobi. She's the cutest little scruffy brown dog. How does she run all that way? Apparently they, well, he carried her a lot, and they didn't, (laughs) he didn't allow her to run like the last leg of the journey. I don't know if she was like carried by race organizers, but it was too hot. So, but she did run like 77 miles with him. And apparently to this day, they still run five to 10 miles a day together. I just love that all these racers are running by and then Gobi sees this one dude. <laughs> and she, yeah, she and loved was just him like, and ran with him. No. 
That's him. my human. I'm. It's love at first sight. I, I will know. run through this desert for him. So freaking cute. And I think Aww. now she like visits schools. You can get little fight little Gobi plushies. I'm gonna cry. It's the cutest story ever. And I loved. I literally did check the Finding Gobi Facebook page every like, day. I hope they find Gobi, hoping that she would be found. And I remember the day that they found her and like posted a photo of her, and she was yeah a little bit battered a little bit worse for wear but she was safe and everyone was happy and it was like the sweetest the sweetest thing so i, I wanted to share the story of goby on the podcast i'm gonna cry i know it's adorable i love you goby <laughs> me too she's I also love you. so cute let me see if i can find a picture goby okay you do that while i talk about a heroic cat this is like this is like a cat who devoted his life to public service did I pick this just because I like the name of this cat? Yes. <laughs> this is Tibbs the Great. <laughs> who lived from 1950 to 1964 and was the British post office's number one cat. <laughs> How and, many cats do they have? <laughs> well, they used to have a bunch to catch mice. Oh! Okay. So he was kept at the post office headquarters and apparently kept the headquarters completely mouse free during his 14 years of service. 14 years? He was the son of many. Okay. And on his death, several newspapers ran an obituary. This is Tibbs the Great right here. So I'm getting this information from uh, Wikipedia, of course. So um, cats had been officially employed by the British Post Office to catch rodents since 1868. Officially employed? Yes. Uh, I love it. When three cats were taken on a six-month trial period at the rate of one shilling per week (laughs) in the London London Money Order Office. On May 1869, it was noted that cats have done their duty very efficiently. And by 1873, the cats were being paid... I don't even understand how that works, but it looks like one shilling, six pence or something. What were they doing with that money? I guess paying for the cat's food and stuff. Okay. I don't actually know. (laughs) So, um, it is known that Tibbs was born in London. His father is unknown, but his... But his mother this is a lost love situation. Yeah, his mother was Minnie, another quote fine cat, <laughs> also known owned by Alf Talbot. <laughs> <laughs> Tibbs worked at the. I can't get over that name. I know Tibbs. Tibbs the Great. <laughs> Can you believe this story comes to us from England? Hard to believe. Tibbs worked at the post office headquarters in London for 14 years and was officially employed and paid two two shillings, six pence per week. He worked in the basement and his job was to catch rats. He was cared for by Alf Talbert, a cleaner at St. Martin's Le Grand. That seems like a church. It's weird that he's not cared for by the fucking postal employees, but okay. Uh, and yeah, he apparently kept the headquarters completely mouse-free. In 1952, there was public outrage that the cats had not received a pay raise <laughs> since 1873. <laughs> 
That is outrageous. That is outrageous. Three. They should strike. There hasn't been a parry since 1873. That does sound terrible. The next three... uh, so this was brought up in the House of Commons. <laughs> of course. Asking, oh my god, I I love that. Have you ever watched like Question Time or something from the House of Commons? Where No. Oh, you should. It's so different than the way that American politics works because everybody gets like really sassy. Oh, I and, have like, seen that. And then they're, they're just like... They're, I don't know, they're just like smacking each other. It's so weird and amazing <laughs> where they like ask direct questions and then just like mock the answers and stuff. It would like never happen here ever. It's so amazing. So anyway, this was brought up in the House of Commons where Assistant Postmaster General David Gammons was asked when the allowance payable, the maintenance of cats in his department was last raised. <laughs> And he replied, there is, I am afraid, a certain amount of industrial chaos in the post office cat world. A lot of industrial chaos. Yes. This is like a formal thing in the record of their government. Allowances vary in different places, possibly according to the alleged efficiency of the animals (laughs) and other factors. It has proven impossible to organize any scheme for camp payments by results or output bonus. It's almost as if cats (laughs) do not understand money. The servants of the state are, however, frequently unreliable, capricious in their duties, and liable to prolonged absenteeism. My hun and gal... Oh, I think that's supposed to be honorable, but... But, but, uh, oh my god, are we drug testing these cats for catnip? Yeah, that's really. my question. And gallant friend has been mis. This is, oh yeah, this is another great way of like insulting people while you're speaking in the House of Commons. My honorable and gallant friend has been misinformed regarding the differences between the rates of cats in Northern Ireland and other parts of the United Kingdom. There are no post office cats in Northern Ireland <laughs> except for the cats at the post office headquarters who got a special allowance a few years ago presumably for prestige reasons i just want to remind everyone we're talking about cats okay there has been a general wage freeze since july 18 19, 1918 but there have been no complaints Oh, Again, wait. the cats aren't complaining the about their wages. The cats are not complaining about their wages. He also hastened to assure to assure the house that the post office cats had an adequate maternity service and that equal pay prevailed in the group. <laughs> oh good. Good. At least we have equal pay for cats. Yeah. Yeah. How much maternity leave do they get? Do I don't they know. get paid parental leave? It's it was it was described as adequate. That's all I know. Uh so better than I'm sure the the, the postal cats in the UK get better maternity leave than we do here, Most by which likely. I mean any. Most likely. Uh I'll have you know that Tibbs the Great was featured in a book called Cockney Cats and was also appeared in cats and film stars wait did the cats get their pay raise or no you know what this is not this wikipedia article just kind of quotes the record and i don't actually know if the cats got their pay raise or not how the how the the postal cats are paid these days let us know yeah right in so tibbs the great unfortunately died december 1964 did he get to enjoy his retirement at least (laughs) it sounds like he was working to the end wow he had been suffering from oral cancer 
He received obituaries and several newspapers. By the time of his death, he had grown to 23 pounds in weight, probably due to living in one of the staff dining rooms <laughs> rather than from eating rats. The last cat employed at post office headquarters was Blackie, who died in 1984, which coincided with cloth sacks being replaced with rodent-resistant plastic bags. So the British post office no longer employs cats to keep... You're telling me automation took their jobs. Took their jobs. Their jobs were replaced by plastic sacks. (laughs) And the the post office no longer has the need for the great service of cats like Tibbs the Great! Horrible. I really like that his mother was described as another fine cat. (laughs) And of course he he was cared for by someone named Alf. Alf. Oh, Tibbs. Oh we thank you for your service. And all of London appreciated that their letters had not been nibbled on by rats. Yeah. The end. All right. So I have another hero cat. This hero cat. Sent hero to us by cat. a listener. And I have, this is the first time I've read it. I so think Claire I am, sent us this. Thank you, Claire. I'm and going it's on this journey with you. So this was a cat by the name of Tama. And this cat was a female calico who gained fame for being a station master and operating officer at Kishi Station. Yes, this cat ran a train station. Go on. At a train station I'm not going to pronounce the name of in Japan. So, you know how cats run train stations. Oh my god. Look how proud this cat is of himself. Oh, or herself. This, this cat Female. is freaking adorable. So, Tama was... Her Tama. Tama was born in an area of Japan that I'm not going to pronounce and was raised with a group of stray cats that used to live close to Kishi Station. They were regularly fed by passengers and by Toshiko Koyama, an informal station manager at the time. The station was near closure in 2004 because of financial problems on the rail line. Around this time, Koyama adopted Tama. Eventually, the decision to close the station was withdrawn after citizens demanded it to stay open. In April 2006, the electric railway de-staffed all stations on the line to cut costs. Station masters were selected from employees of local businesses near each station, and Koyama was officially chosen as the station manager. On January 5th, 2007, railway officials decided to officially award Tama the title of station master. <laughs> as station master, her primary duty was to greet passengers. <laughs> I love it so much. In lieu of an annual salary, the railway provided Tama with a year's worth of cat food and a gold name tag for her collar with the, her name and position written on it. Uh, so I feel like the UK was treating their service cats a little bit better. At least they got paid. At least they got a wage. So <laughs> Not a golden name tag. Oh my god. The position also came with a station master's hat, which had to be specifically designed and made to fit Tama. Yes! And took more than six months to complete. What? Why? It was specially made. Well, oh that's my god, a labor intensive hat. hat. Oh my god. Oh my god. This is the cutest fucking thing I've ever seen. Okay, I'm sorry. I was distracted by her little hat. So, in July 2008, a summer hat was also issued to Tama for hotter weather. <laughs> this is the best. Oh my god. Tama's original gold name tag was stolen by a visitor on October 10th, but a replica was quickly made to replace it. So what don't worry. an evil person to do such a thing. I know. 
So the publicity from Tama's appointment led to an increase in passengers by 17% for that month as compared to January 2006. Ridership statistics for March 2007 showed a 10% increase (laughs) over the previous financial year. A study estimated that the publicity surrounding Tama was contributed... Has, has contributed 1.1 billion yen to the local economy. Wow. That's a lot of yen. Tama is often cited as part of a phenomenon known in Japan as, I'm not going to pronounce that, uh, play off the term ebonomics. It refers to the positive economic impact of having a cat mascot. Uh, oh my yes. god! Japan gets it. Oh Japan is showing goodness. these heroic animals the proper respect. And understands the stuff like this. You might think like, oh, it's just a good photo op. Guess what? That's great for tourism. <gasps> would I go to a train station just to see the cat that is in charge of it? Yes, I absolutely would. Oh, fuck yeah. So on December 5th, 2007, Tama was recognized as the grand prize winner of the railway's top station runner award. <laughs> the year-end bonus was modified. I feel bad for like the actual human that got beat by that cat. It's like, I've been working really hard running my train station. All that cat does is greet passengers. This is the best story I've ever heard. The year-end bonus was modified to a special cat toy and a celebratory slice of crab, which Tama was fed by the company president. Wow. On January... A celebratory slice of crab. What a sentence. On January 5th, 2008, Tama was promoted to Super Station Master in a ceremony attended by the president of the company, the mayor, and approximately 300 spectators. As a result of her promotion, she was, quote, the only female in a managerial position in the company. All right, that's really depressing. Her new position. (laughs) Oh, you want to move up in this country? This company? Guess what, sweetie? Better be a cat. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty depressing. So, but listen to this. Her new position had an office, which was a converted ticket booth containing a litter box. Her gold name tag was modified to a gold tag with a blue background with an added S for super. Oh, my God. On October 28th, 2008, Tama was knighted and awarded a prestigious title, um, which I'm also not going to pronounce, by the prefectorial governor for her work in promoting local tourism. Aww. In spring 2009, the railway railway introduced a new Tama Densha, which is a Tama called Tom, which is in English is Tama Train, a train on the line which was customized with a cartoon depiction of Tama. Aww. In January 2010, <laughs> oh my God, she just keeps get she's moving up the ladder. In January 2010, <laughs> railway off. Officials promoted Tama to the post of operating officer in recognition of her contribution to expanding the customer base. Well, this cat is doing way better in her career than I'm doing in mine. <laughs> the way they describe this. Tama maintained the station master's job while taking over the new job and was the first cat to become an executive oh. of the Railway Corporation. Well, yeah. She was doing two jobs. And sleeping in that converted ticket box. <laughs> Her staff consisted of two feline assistant station masters. Oh my god, they got more cats. Named Tama's sister, uh, namely Tama's sister Chibi, and Tama's mother, an orange tabby cat named Miko. Chibi. In August 2010, in honor of Tama's third year as station master, the station building at Kishi was rebuilt with a new structure resembling a cat's face. Both the Tama train, 
both the Tama train refurbishment and the station building projects were overseen by industrial designer Iji Matuka, who I think is relatively well known. On January 6, 2011, Tama's fourth year as station master was celebrated with a ceremony and her promotion to managing executive officer, third in line in management after the company president and managing director. This cat is, has more credentials than I do. This is yeah, amazing. I mean, I have none, so this cat is really outdoing me. I think what this story teaches us, if, if you have a failing business or some sort of establishment that you need to get in some more foot traffic, have you considered promoting a cat? <laughs> right? You thought this cat was done getting promotions on January 5th, 2013? <laughs> at the ceremony celebrating her sixth year as station master, Tama was elevated to honorary president of the electric rail what? for life. Oh my goodness. In April 2013, it was announced that due to Tama's increasing age, her work hours would be reduced and she would only be on view in the station office Tuesday through Friday, a reduction of two days from her original Monday through Saturday hours. Oh, she was working six days a week? No wonder she's getting promoted. And on January 6, 2017, the 10th anniversary, uh, anniversary of Tama's installment as station master, Yon Tama, which in English means fourth Tama, an eight-month-old calico was introduced as Natama's subordinate and the new station master the, during Natama's days off. So, yeah, this cat had direct reports. She I became mean, the honorary president of the company. She has a very impressive resume. She does. We and need- also, I wanted to show you a picture of her little hat. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it looks like a little conductor hat. That cat really pulls off that hat. She is so cute. Oh my god, look at this official portrait. She's wearing like a three musketeers ask cape? Yeah, with a little lace oh, collar goodness. and her specially designed hat. I wonder if that was her winter hat or her summer hat. <laughs> I feel like she got promoted look so how much they should have given she looks. They should have given her a crown at some point. Oh my god, this is the cutest thing I've ever seen. Follow us on Instagram and I'll post all these photos, including this one of Gobi and Dion at the finish line. Oh, I'm showing look how happy Gobi is. Yeah, and look at her running with him. I didn't realize Gobi was so little. She's oh tiny. She's like Lenny and Curtis size. How did she? I actually, Curtis probably could run that far. Curtis, Curtis loves walks. I'm Curtis sure he could go forever. And she kind of looks like the scruffy brown version of Curtis. Aww. I love these stories so much. We really should just do a podcast. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Bye. All right, we got one more story. I'm going to talk about a place that creates hero dogs. Wow. Which is the Wap. Satch Buck County Rescue. Okay. Which is an international dog school that trains avalanche rescue canine <gasps> teams. Oh. The school is held every odd number year in January in Little Cottonwood Canyon, Utah. And it is the oldest school of its kind in the United States. So this is a place where you can bring dogs to be trained for avalanche rescue uh missions amazing and they have dogs at various ski resorts in utah in case anybody gets trapped in an avalanche and um yeah it's a like nonprofit group that trains these dogs most of this information i'm getting from their website but i was also looking at pictures on a website called brave ski mom and sadly my printer is like running out of ink but it looks like they use all different types of dogs 
This is like a picture of the ski patrol. Look at them go. I follow an Instagram account called Avalanche Dogs that you should definitely check out. They don't post very much, which is kind of sad, but they, it's obviously an Instagram account of all these dogs that are at one particular ski resort. And yeah, they have to use dogs because if you're buried in an avalanche, the best way to find you is with a dog that can sniff you out. Yeah. So the statistic that is coming from this website says one avalanche dog can cover the size of two football fields in 30 minutes. In comparison, to cover this amount of terrain in the same 30 minutes would require 150 people. Amazing. So, yeah, this is why they are so important. So, um, this school, if you were to take your dogs there for training, I think it takes about two years. And so, I'll tell you about the different... um, levels so you you get you select your puppy in january and february because they're they're trained from like the very beginning and so at the end of their first fall winter they are operational for the ski area and it says dogs are natural searchers with proper upbringing training and rewards they would rather find people under snow than anything else our dogs generally give 10 years of service Once we select a dog to start training with the basic commands and obedience, at this time, the new pupple is level C, or candidate rescue dog. At 12 months, we start to train the dog for searching for human victims in snow, and they do testing within their own resort. So, like, some of the training is at this place, and they also, like, go to different ski resorts so that they'll be trained, like, where they would be working. Um... They are now eligible to search there within their home ski resort and are considered a level B ski area <laughs> operational dog. Although although they are well on their way in training, there is they are still new to the game and this is serious training time. A rescue dog is ready and eligible to test level A avalanche search and rescue dog at 18 months of age. At this time, the dog travels to another resort where it is tested by their hand and tested with their handler by evaluators that are set up to grade them as a team when the dog team tests level a status they are now available to respond outside of the ski resort um for the local sheriff's agency so that would be like if there was a bigger disaster and they had to bring in like more dogs um then that that's what the fully trained dogs would do and they said they currently had i think 30 dogs that were trained to do this and they have like 100 volunteers that work for this place it just seemed really cool and if if you ski maybe you should consider making a contribution to this organization because if you are trapped in an avalanche you're gonna want these dogs to come find you oh yeah i think there's a very brief window if you are trapped underneath snow during in an avalanche where the the time is of the essence so they these resorts have their own dogs that can swoop in and hopefully find you in time right it just seems cool. Amazing. Plus, they're he- little heroes. They're little. They're they're trained to be heroes since birth. Oh my god! Did they? So did I hear that they take rescue dogs and train them to be these avalanche? Or is it rescue because they're rescuing people? I think they meant because they're rescuing people. I don't know where the actual dogs come from. Because but they're all different breeds. It's the in the picture. It's all different breeds. Huh. So maybe they are also rescues. I'm not sure about that part interesting oh i love these stories so much but if you wanted to learn more about that it's at um w b r e oh it's w b rescue okay dot org i'm also seeing that tama the hero cat was featured on animal planet's show must love cats where the host john fulton honored her with a visit and a song 
a and song. Then, this is the cutest thing ever. I don't know if you can go back and see old Google Doodles, but on April 29th, 2017, the 18th anniversary of her birth, Google honored Tama with a worldwide Google Doodle. Oh on the goodness. whole page of Google. That is fame right there. Tama, this, is Tama the most famous cat in the world? Oh my, she's so cute. I mean, really beating Tibbs the Great. Despite <laughs> the least, name. At least Tibbs got paid. At least Tibbs got paid cash money. <laughs> but <laughs> secure that bag, Tibbs. Tama had the titles. I mean, Tibbs has, has left our earthly plane and is catching rats in heaven now. Yep. Or just sleeping. I don't know. Who knows? Okay, that was the pupcast. I love Man, I wish we were always cast. doing a pupcast. I know. <laughs> and this one, there wasn't even a sad story. No, they were all sad. Not like Hachiko. Yeah, Hachi, that was a sad, Oof. sad but heartwarming. Really gets those heartstrings. Yeah. Uh, right, well, thanks for your work, hero animals. Hopefully, Tama will get a statue. All of these animals deserve statues. It seems like every other country is like, oh, this animal was heroic. Let's make a statue. And the United States is like, yeah, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> we seem to be Sergeant Stubby has a statue. Oh, that's true. That's good. But very few other statues. Here we'll just more, stuff them more, and put them in a more. museum. Because, as we've learned, it's good for tourism. Yeah. And it has also, this economic boom of having a cat for a mascot. Say, apparently having a cat for a mascot is also very good well, for tourism. Japan is huge on mascots. Like, everything has right. a mascot. Which I, I thought... Oh, I wish I could remember the name of that Twitter. I'm sure you can find it. There's a Twitter just devoted to like all the various obscure oh mascots of Japan, and they're fascinating and adorable. And I just kind of want to hug all of them. Yeah. So yeah, uh, we're actually an unsolved mysteries podcast. Oh yeah. You can follow us on the social medias. Perhaps it's you, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Don't look for podcast because that. that's just this is just a extra this is like a side gig for yeah, us. Pretty much. This is what we'd rather be doing. Uh, we have a website, perhaps it's you.com. If you know of enough, another his- heroic animal that we should feature and honor on this show, I really let love us know. getting these in our mailbox. So email us at perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com if there is a hero animal you'd like us to cover. Um, you can also get more uh, un- unsolved mysteries related content on our Patreon if you give us $1 or more a month. That's One of them's about chickens. Yeah, so com slash there perhaps you go. it's you. And I think that's it. Pretty much it. Um, if you have any pets, go give them a hug. Yeah. Go give them a pet. Thank yeah. them for all their hard work. Thank them for their service. Consider giving them a shilling and and <laughs> a, a living wage. A perhaps. living wage, and then yelling at the House of Commons about how the postal cats haven't gotten a raise in a while. <laughs> oh my god, it's so I wonderful. I love it so much. Yes. All right. Okay. Bye, bye everyone. everyone.